Hey, good morning, Crossing family. My name is Pastor Pete, and I am honored to be the worship pastor here at the Crossing Church. But today, I have the distinguished privilege of sharing God's Word with you, and I am so excited about it. I believe that the Lord has given me something so special for you today. So I want you to get your Bibles out, get your notebooks out. If you have sermon notes, you can download. That's fine, too. Just follow along with me. We're going to jump right in to the Word of God. And I want to warn you before jumping in that I'm going to be using a lot of Scripture today. As one of my old Sunday school teachers, uh, Brother Randy Neal, he was a fabulous Sunday school teacher. He, he always had this saying, he would say, we're going to let our fingers do the walking and let the scriptures do the talking. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to jump in to the book of Luke chapter 24. Book of Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 36. I'm going to read this to you. It's a long passage of scripture. So Please hang with me. It says, And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. Verse 40, as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. And 41, still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now, this is verse 49, listen to what the Lord tells us. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. I want to share with you today on this thought, life in the stinger. Can we pray? Lord, we just welcome you into this time. We welcome your presence here with us into this moment. Your word told us where two or three were gathered together in your name that you would be in the midst of us. So I pray, Lord, even now that you will show up in such a powerful way that you will speak to our hearts through your word, that you will transform our lives forever. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. All right, so I want you to imagine for a moment, if you will, that you are sitting in a movie theater. And I know since at the time of this recording, COVID restrictions are being lifted 
and uh, people are heading back to the movies and uh, maybe it's been a while for you and you can remember what it was like sitting in the theater and let's imagine that you are watching this scene, this gospel scene that I just read to you out of Luke 24. You're watching it on the big screen. Um, this would actually be a really good time if you were watching a movie for the end credits to begin uh, rolling. The lights begin fading up. You know the scene. Uh, theme music maybe begins playing in the background. Uh, you stand up and you stretch. Many of you are familiar with that stretch after a long movie. If you're like me, you've probably got your kids with you in the theater. And uh, one of them spills the remaining popcorn on the floor. It's that popcorn you've been saving for that whole movie to take home. Because, you know, let's be honest. There is no popcorn like movie theater popcorn. If you believe that, can you just type amen into the comments on wherever you're watching this? Then you do what any good servant-hearted Christian person does. That's right. You leave the popcorn laying in the floor for the attendant to come and clean up. You exit the theater in a sense of catharsis, which fades by the time you reach the door of your vehicle. But what if the movie really isn't over? What if you later realize that there were scenes after the credits that revealed something so startling, something so exhilarating that you would almost pay the ticket price again just to sit through the movie to see the missing scene? In the world of cinema, this is what's known as a stinger. A better term for those of us with a sweet tooth, it's commonly called a credit cookie. Stingers are a post-credit scene also known as a film stinger, a movie stinger, or end credit sequence. It's a scene that appears after the credits have rolled on a movie. Post-credit sequence characteristics typically include one of these four elements. It can be a blooper, or an outtake of the film, an amusing scene that instructs you to go home, a brief scene that is unconnected to anything important at all in the film, or I like this one, an important piece that either hints at more to come and or fleshes out the pre-existing lore. Not only do movies, TV shows, even video games employ this technique, many books and novels also utilize this, and in them it's known as an epilogue, a supplemental section to tell readers the fate of the main characters and wrap up any loose ends that weren't accomplished in the main story. May I be so bold to declare to you today that the gospel of Jesus Christ is in fact the greatest story ever told. It's still good news. Even after 2,000 years, it's still relevant in content and transformative in its power. Amen. Listen to what Napoleon Bonaparte says about the gospel. The gospel is not merely a book. It is a living power, a book surpassing all others. I never omit to reading it and every day with the same pleasure. The gospel possesses a secret virtue, a mysterious efficacy, a warmth which penetrates and soothes the heart, one finds in meditating upon it that which one experienced in contemplating the heavens. He goes on to say, the gospel is not a book. It is a living being with an action, a power, which invades everything that opposes 
its extension. Again, the gospel is the greatest story that's ever told. And we, you and I, get the privilege of living in the stinger of the gospel. We are a living epilogue. But how, one may ask? Well, I want to pose to you three questions that if you'll ask yourself these things daily and have the courage to answer them honestly, you won't have trouble living life in the epilogue of the gospel. Here's question number one. Do you really believe that Jesus is who he claims to be? I love this passage of scripture found in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. I'm going to read this out of the New International Version. He says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And here's what Jesus asked them in verse 15. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? I love the questions of Jesus. He has a way of cutting through all the chaos, the distractions, the rumors, the debates, and simply gets right to the heart of the individual. One thing I want you to note about this exchange in Matthew 16 is that Jesus is very interested in what other people say about him. Why, you may ask, because he understands context and culture. He knows that an individual, unique, independent person is really a myth. All people, somebody say all people, all people live in a context. All people have a backstory, a backdrop, a setting. All people have a culture in which they flourish or thrive. Trying to remove the individual from his or her context would be like trying to pick out a grain of sand from a beautiful stained glass window. Jesus doesn't shy away from controversy. He doesn't back away from scandal or inquisition. He didn't call a band of disciples to hide their heads in the sands of isolation out of self-preservation. His gospel penetrates, it permeates, it saturates and it satiates. His gospel pervades culture, transcends kingdoms, and invades empires. If you believe that, just again, will you just type amen in the comments wherever you're watching this sermon? I like how he says, some say, others say, and then others say. Let me ask you this, what have some said to you about who Jesus claims to be? In today's culture, some say, that he was just a good man. Some say that he was a prophet, while others say that he was nothing more than a myth or a legend. Hear what some famous persons in the last century have said about him. And again, we're talking about even the, the context and the culture that we find ourselves in today. Mahatma Gandhi said that he was a man who was completely innocent, offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. He says it was a perfect act. I like what Albert Einstein said about him. He claims, he says, I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Jesus is too colossal for the pen of phrasemongers, however artful. He further added, 
No man can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. Thesis and other heroes of his type lack the authentic vitality of Jesus. And then lastly, Farrakhan, who was the leader of religious group, the Nation of Islam. Here's what he even said about Jesus. No prophet before Jesus casted out demons that I can remember. Do you remember any of the old prophets casting out demons? He goes on to say, Jesus was deep. There was something about the power of his word that demons came out. Now at the time of this recording, uh, we have just come through at the Crossing Church a, a powerful series that our pastor, Pastor Chad, spoke uh, called Jesus for All People. And, and through these weeks leading up to Easter weekend here in this house, he went through certain titles, certain phrases, certain names of Jesus and described that attribute of him. I encourage you to go back into the, the podcast, to go back in on the website and find some of those sermons and listen to them. I'm not going to take time to try and, and expound on any of those things that he shared with you. But as I was thinking about who Jesus really is and how he posed this question to his followers and how I believe he's posing this very question to you and to me today. My mind rolled back to an old song. I'm, again, as a worship pastor growing up in and around church a little bit, old song they sang at my grandma's church, uh, written by a wonderful woman of God named Dottie Rambo uh, back in the 1970s. And uh, God used this woman, I believe, greatly and, and powerfully to shape God's music. Southern gospel, come on somebody, Southern gospel music. She penned these words uh, straight from the word, I believe, and, and I love it. I want you to listen. In verse one, she just goes on to, to call out different names of Jesus. It says, Master, Redeemer, Savior of the world, Wonderful, Counselor, Bright, Morning Star, Lily of the Valley, Provider and Friend. He was yesterday, He'll be tomorrow, beginning and the end. Verse 2 calls out, says, Jehovah, Messiah, mighty God and King, bread of life, lasting words of love that I sing, light and darkness, door to heaven, my home in the sky, the fountain of living water that never shall run dry. And then here comes the hook, the chorus. She boldly declares, but the angel called him Jesus, born of a virgin, Mary called him Jesus, but I call him Lord. Who do you say that Jesus is today? I want to repeat to you the question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say I am? Now question number two. We're living life in the epilogue of the gospel. Here's the second thing. Do you really believe what Jesus says is true? Not only do you believe that he is who he says he is, do you believe what he said was true. Now back to our opening scriptures in Luke chapter 24, we read this. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you so frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies. 
as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? I love these these things that Jesus says to his followers here before he's taken up into heaven. He says, peace. Do you have peace today? Are you missing peace in your life? Can I tell you that Jesus and only Jesus offers us a peace that the world cannot take away. Then he basically tells them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now in today's culture, we're coming out, I believe, of a, of a pandemic. We're still living in the afterglow of it a little bit, but we're coming out of a season where for two solid years, this world has been shaken and racked with fear. And even in world events that are going on right now, there seems to be this subtle fear that has once again gripped the hearts of men and women. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't doubt. Don't be filled with anxiety. Don't let your hearts be filled with fear. And then I love this, this, this next thing, this last thing, this question that Jesus asked them. He simply says, where's the food? <laughs> where's the food? Now that's my kind of savior right there. Can I get an amen? Where is the food? Have you made anything to eat? Boy, what a God that we serve. Amen. What a God that we serve. He offers us peace. He offers us uh, freedom from fear and freedom, anxiety. And then he says, where's the meat? <laughs> where's the beef? I love famous last words. Here's a few uh, famous last words that might entertain you for a moment. Emily, Di Emily Dickinson said, I must go in. The fog is rising just before she passed away. Before his death, Thomas Edison is recorded as saying, it is very beautiful over there. Even in our own time, Steve Jobs, uh, he is recorded as his last words saying simply, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. I wonder what old Steve saw uh, as the veil of this reality was, was beginning to part and begin to be torn in two and he could see into the world that is to come. I wonder what he saw that would have made him exclaim those words. Oscar Wilde said, either that wallpaper goes or I do. <laughs> and then lastly, the great Winston Churchill is recorded as saying, I'm bored with it all. And then he breathed his last. I love some of Jesus's last words to his disciples. Now I'm not talking about his last words on the cross before he he perished. Those words are also powerful, but I'm talking about these last words that he spoke to his followers on the earth before he was taken up into heaven. It's found in Mark 16. I'm reading now the English Standard Version. It says, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at a table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will 
recover. And then verse 19, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Do you believe what Jesus said? Do you believe what the word of God tells us? Those final instructions that he gave to us before we begin living our life in the stinger. Now, some of you may be saying to yourself, this all sounds good and fine for the preacher. This all sounds good for the evangelist or for the worship leader. But what about me? What about the single mother with three kids living on a government check, working a part-time job, earning minimum wage, trying to make ends meet? What about the investment banker who can afford any toy in the market, any toy that money can buy, but has an addiction that no one wants to acknowledge or talk about? What about the average person sitting in rush hour traffic, listening to a murder mystery podcast, trying to get home so they can eat their hamburger helper and lay down and go to bed. Can I tell you what the words of Jesus should mean to you who believe in them? They should mean that you do whatever it is that you do with purpose, with destiny, with passion, with a sense of greatness. It means that you should look for the miraculous in your life, not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday, on Tuesday. Live in this epilogue of the gospel with a sense of urgency. And why? Because here's the third question I want to pose to you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is returning? And here's where I want to let the word of God simply speak to your hearts for a moment. I'm going to read a few passages out of some versions of the Bible. In the English Standard Version of Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 9, here's what the Bible says. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Oh, there's great hope found in that today, right? I love this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's what the Apostle Paul tells us. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, we who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then lastly, here's what Jesus says. This is one of my favorite parables, my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, Matthew chapter 25. We're going to skip some verses, verse 14, and then we're going to skip to verse 19. Here's what he says in the New King James Version. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And then verse 19 says, After a long time, 
Somebody say a long time. We don't know how long, but after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. You see, there are many modern issues that the Bible is actually unspecific about, such as should Christians and believers participate in the purchase of health or life insurance. The Bible doesn't really address those things for us. The Bible doesn't really specifically address of how or should a Christian be involved politically and how they should vote and all those things. Like It doesn't specifically lay those things out for us or how a Christian should even utilize the modern tools of technology to increase their professional productivity. But can I tell you that that's okay? The Bible is not only a book of answers, it's also a book of questions. Why? Because Jesus is looking after seekers. But I can boldly declare to you that the Bible is very specific and very clear on one thing. That Jesus is coming back again. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's really coming do you believe that Jesus is returning to us? And I love this. If you jump back into Matthew chapter 25 and go down to verse 31, here's what the Bible tells us. Here's what Jesus, these words are written in red in my Bible. Here's what the Lord says. He says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Somebody say when, when. That word is when, not if, but when the Son of Man comes in His glory. See, we have turned the fact into a question. We have put a different punctuation mark behind that. We've said when, when, oh, when is He coming back? I love what the great uh, preacher and pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones says about the second coming. He says, the, the great doctrine of the second advent has a sense fallen into disrepute because of this tendency on the part of some to be more interested in the how and the when of the second coming rather than the fact of the second coming. It's a fact that he's coming again. I'm not going to get into all the intricate details of how or how some people have interpreted the when. There's plenty of that information out there if you want to dig further into that. But I want to tell you, one scholar has noted that in the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are some 318 references to the second coming of the Lord Jesus, which means that in about one of every 30 verses in the New Testament refers to the return of the Lord. It's simply a fact. As we're quickly coming to a close of our time together today, allow me a moment to encourage you that living life in the stinger, living in the epilogue of the gospel is greatly enhanced by living what many scholars call a Maranatha mindset. Maranatha. It's an Aramaic word used only once in the Bible by the Apostle Paul who closes out his first letter to the Corinthian church with this surprisingly strong statement. Hear what he says in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 22. And I'm going to go a little old school. I'm reading this out of the King James Version. It says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, Maranatha. Maranatha. 
I read this in the King James because most modern translations of the Bible have translated this cryptic phrase into our Lord come or some variation of that phrase. See, similar to the word Hosanna, these are all good churchy Christian words that we use, right? Hosanna or hallelujah or amen. Somebody type amen or hallelujah in the comments. These are all transliterated Hebrew words. Maranatha is a transliterated Aramaic word. And here's what one scholar, Thomas Constable, says. It's strange to meet with an Aramaic phrase in a Greek letter to a Greek church. The explanation is that this phrase had become a watchword and a password. It summed up the vital hope of the early church. And Christians whispered it to each other, identified each other by it in a language which the heathen could not understand. The majority of modern Bible versions and commentaries interpret Maranatha as a prayer beseeching the Lord Jesus Christ to return quickly, to come back soon. This was actually a prayer that the early church would pray. They would say, Maranatha. If, is that your hope today? Is that your prayer today? If it is, won't you just, won't you just type out Maranatha in the comments? Let's say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Indeed, every time we pray, that famous line from the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come. In a sense, we are crying, Maranatha, asking for the return of the king of the kingdom. Augustine says, he who loves the coming of the Lord is not he who affirms it is far off, nor is it he who says it is near. It is he who, whether it be far or near, awaits it with sincere faith, steadfast hope, and fervent love. Beloved, we can be ready for the last moment by being ready at every moment. I like this story that I read that illustrates this Maranatha mindset. It says, Tourist once visited an exquisite, lovely estate in Italy and spoke to its caretaker. Here's the conversation between the tourist and the caretaker. How long have you been here, he asked. 25 years, replied the caretaker. And how often has the owner been to see the estate? To which the caretaker responded, only four times. Well then, when did he come last? To which the custodian replied, 12 years ago. Astonished, the man asked him, who comes then to look after things? And the caretaker answered, I'm left pretty much alone. Then the man said with amazement, yet you keep the garden so immaculate that one would think you were expecting the owner to arrive tomorrow. Immediately and with elevated energy, the, the caretaker rebutted, today, sir, today, perhaps today. In closing, can I challenge you with, with some thoughts? Those who truly live with a mindset that they are living in the epilogue of the gospel, live with a sense of urgency. They live with a sense of expectancy, with conviction, with a sense of duty that needs no constant encouragement or external motivation. They live with an internal inspiration which compels them to move onward, which incites them to look forward and will ultimately prepare them to travel upward. Before we leave today, 
I just want to ask if there's anyone that's watching this, maybe, maybe you're watching this and, and you are not living with that sense of urgency. Maybe you are not living with that sense of expectation, with that Maranatha mindset. Maybe you have doubted at times that Jesus truly is who he claimed to be. Maybe there are certain words found in the pages of this book that you have found yourself questioning at times. I want to encourage you to begin living your life in the epilogue of the gospel by asking yourself those three things. Do you believe he is who he claimed to be? Do you believe what Jesus said? And do you believe that he's returning soon? Maybe you're watching and you don't have a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've strayed away from your walk with Christ. And I want to invite you to either make a decision for the first time, to put your trust in Jesus, or maybe make a, a recommitment in your life that you're going to begin living again with that sense of passion, with that sense of purpose, with that Maranatha mindset that says, I believe that it may be even by the very end of this podcast or this video sermon, whatever it is, how it is you're watching and consuming this information. Maybe before you even turn off your TV, your computer, your smartphone, he could come back. Are you ready today? Can we pray together for a moment? Lord Jesus, once again, I just invite you into this moment. I invite your presence to come and to permeate our time together, that you will, you will put your seal of approval on the words that you have spoken through me today into the hearts of believers or unbelievers. Lord, I pray that you will touch their hearts and speak to their lives and call them, transform them, draw them into a deeper relationship with you. Let us learn what it truly is to live life in the stinger, to live life in the epilogue of the gospel of Jesus. Let us leave this time together today reawakened, if you will, to a sense of urgency and to expectancy that there is so much more that you long to not only do in us, but through us to help shape the culture and the context around us. Be with us, Lord, as we travel through this life, God, through this week, in the months and years to come, however long it is that you give us, Lord. Let us constantly live with a Maranatha mindset that it could even perhaps be today that you return for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Hope you have a wonderful week.